Okay, and welcome back to Fast Ship Performance then. My name is Tim Davies, and today we're back in the attack shack, dropping truth bombs on your personal battlefields, helping you to win the wars. <laughs> you are fighting, okay? Some of you are fighting wars out there today, and we've got one of our brothers from another mother who's asked for some truth bombing today from Dr. FJP, who's the doctor they told you to go see. Here it is. It's an email. I'm going to get on with it. Oh, before we do that, guys, seriously, cut your own hair. I cut my own hair. You know, it was like long and godlike, Jesus-like a little while ago. Cut my own hair. Right, it's really simple. It is actually simple. It's probably not the best to see the back of it. The back's all right. Who cares, right? We're in lockdown, isn't it? When else are you going to get a chance to cut your own hair? Just cut your own hair. So what do you need then, just before we start? Comb. It's got the bits there, so like, you know, a bit there and a bit there. So, you know, you've got a bit of variation in the comb, £1.49. Rose scissors. They've even got that kind of expert bit there. But these are like scissors for the, the hair haircut dude, whatever. I don't let women cut my hair. Samson Delilah, lose your strength, don't you? Man cut man hair. So, that, you know, you, you, you're basically giving yourself the power. And then you'll also probably need brawn, shavy things. This comes off. Now, here's the thing about this. Okay, word of advice for the guys with awesome beers like mine. If you leave this, say on set like one or something, and then you take this thing off and you leave it in your bag, or you even leave this on, but it's set to one, you might pick it up and go, bits of beard gone. You're like, oh, whole thing has to come off now. Or I'm just gonna make it like kind of zebra stripey and make it really cool. Leave this on 10, okay, which is a centimeter. Leave this thing on it, okay, and check it's on before you do your beard. Because normally when you're doing your beard, you might be woken up and what's going on. Leave it on, you know it's one. Okay, look at it there, you can see the gap. Now you can do your beard. It's all good. Obviously, that for doing the, the bits around there, the bits around there, making yourself look good, pulling the eerie bit around the ears as well. There's loads of cool videos out there, in fact. The key, right? This is your this is your cutting hand, this is your cool hand. So this is also gonna be in your cool hand. I'm right-handed, okay? Right hand. What I do with this, I go like this, I go, right, I want some of this up here. Look at this. Then I'm gonna find out where the hair is from beneath. You've got to then pick up the scissors, so have the scissors somewhere nice, and then you go, right, let's find the hair, let's find the hair. So you go, hands, how are you gonna find it? Touch the hand, touch the hand, touch the hand, snip, 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 cross that. And then you just keep working back through the hair. Go back a bit more, go back a bit more side sides lift up at the sides do all that God, it's like something like spandau ballet isn't it gold I might actually leave it like this for the whole of the video if you're listening on a podcast believe me you haven't actually missed out anything oh what's going on something about mary isn't it right anyway let's leave this and anyway i think i'm getting the age now nearing 50 where i'm legally allowed to use a comb my dad used a comb i can't make that do anything guys and also go and buy yourself a mirror and um and just hang that on something Get a stand or something or a wall and, and get a wife's hairband if you're married. If you're married to a woman, that is. If you're married to a dude, maybe the dude has a hairband if he has hair like mine. And then just put it through there like this. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Make sure it's got a hole in your in your one you buy off Amazon. This was like five quid or something, or eight quid. Put it over itself. You know, you've got like a nice little bit there to have a hook. Hook that up something like that so you can see yourself because you want to be seeing the back of the head. Do the same thing, okay? Comb with this hand underneath it, chop to chop, just do it all the way down, all the way down, you might need to neaten up a little bit, and whatever you do, don't let a woman touch your hair, because she'll rob you of your strength, won't she? And then it does work, the hair does work normally, it's been having a bit of a, because I like, my hair was a bit longer, because um, I keep it long to annoy the military contacts I see, uh, and I keep the beard massive, and I've actually trimmed the beard a little bit. Either way, the hair's gone a bit freaky today, because I've just messed it up. Look at that, what's that doing? That, I need to take that bit off. We'll work it out. Anyway, email, guys. From a doctor who is struggling, and rightly so. When you hear this email, you'll be like, man, that's kind of a brave dude there. I do apologize for the hair. I messed it right up. I'm going to read it out. I'll read out my response to it. Maybe we'll go in a little bit of detail afterwards, what I think. And then um, I'll get rid of you, okay? So you're not wasting your time, guys. Right, here we go. Dear Mr. Tim Davies, my name is Dr. 
Currently a frontline consultant emergency physician working within the NHS. I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time. Initially found through my own aviation interest as a very humble general aviation pilot. I found the lessons and insights invaluable and have certainly used some elements teaching my own team. I do have a right today with a different question. As a background and as stated, I am as frontline in this pandemic as it is possible for a person to be. I additionally have a organ transplant, he does write down what it is, we'll leave it out, which has conferred quite a substantial risk of death to myself should I catch COVID-19. I love my job deeply but find myself lately becoming increasingly mentally fatigued and I do recognise this. Good awareness. My question is, how does a person maintain focus and protect oneself mentally when living daily with a threat of possible mortality? Current estimates for mortality in transplant patients are as high as 25%. Yes, I could shield myself, yet find myself unwilling to do so. I feel it is my duty to be doing the job, especially during this time when it matters most. Every COVID patient I see could potentially infect me. I've lost colleagues to the disease and see its devastating effects daily. Death and pressure is nothing new to me. However, all my using co usual coping mechanisms, which is flying, climbing, Hiking are not possible, both due to lockdown restrictions, but also the current requirements of the job. I, of course, talk to colleagues, but each of us is battling the same mental fatigue. I do not wish to ramble on, but merely inquire as to any personal experience which may be shared in developing this particular form of mental resilience. The nearest I could equate it to was working a tour in the military, so decided to reach out to yourself. I'm aware of your spin recovery program, full, and consider the work you do with this to be incredible. I certainly see the effects of those who do not see such help at the acute end of the spectrum. However, I do not feel this is what I currently need. Thank you for your time. Uh, you've taken to read my email. Thoughts and insights you may have with respect to this. Yours sincerely, Dr. Name. Dr. Name, so okay, so I wrote quite a long truth bomb back because I was interested in this. Um, he's not right for spin. He's not asking for spin, by the way. That's not what it's about. Um, he's just saying he recognizes spin. Spin is full, I've got seven men, not boys, men on the next course, all right? Um, starting Monday, I will board every four to six weeks. You know how it works. Anyway, I can't fit any more on, even seven is too many, but I'm doing a guy a favor, right? It's normally, of course, four to six, four to six. Right, uh, let's have a look. So my reply then is name, doctor name. Thank you for your email. The main question as I see it is this. My question is how does a person maintain focus and protect oneself mentally when living daily with the threats of possible mortality? My answer is probably not one that you'll want to hear, but here it is anyway. As a pilot on fast jets, I lost many friends over the years and all of them that were killed in flying accidents were in control of the aircraft when they died. This is significant as it means they were conscious and they made the mistake that killed them. The reason that pilots are able to maintain focus and perform slash protect themselves mentally when under the threat of possible mortality is that they acclimatized to it over the years. I've always thought that we consider ourselves already dead. Any life after this was just a bonus. The reason I say this is because for many of us, our friends who died were thought of as the better pilots. And we often thought, well, if they've died, what hope do I have? Now, there's many reasons to believe this to be a defeatist attitude. To expect death and to succumb to it, or the inevitable reality that it will happen, but that's not how pilots see it. I believe we saw it as an afterlife that was just waiting for us, much like the Greek notion of the Elysium, or the Elysium Fields, you may have heard of it as such. Somewhere for us to eventually end up if we got things wrong. Now, the comforting aspect to all of this, of course, is that our deaths would most probably be because of something that we had done or not done, and thus we were deserving of it. Your threat 
is one which would come from something that you could do little about, and this is of interest. Going back to the Elysium guys, you may remember uh, Maximus in the film Gladiator by Ridley Scott talking to the Roman soldiers before the battle where he said, if you do find yourself riding alone in a field, um, then uh, don't worry because you're in Elysium and you are already dead. Elysium is where they thought gods would help warriors to go post-life and carry on but in a really nice environment. That's why it's called the Elysium Fields, riding in the Elysium Fields or the Elysium. A bit of history for you there for free. Tick, happy, no worries. Right. So the, the bit was of interest then is that the threat is one that this guy can't do anything about. So the next bit uh, I quote him is, I feel it is my duty to be doing my job, especially during this time when it matters most. Yeah, it is. You are correct, and self-sacrifice is part of your job as it was mine. This is the war you've been waiting for, and now one you get the chance to fight. We both hope you make it, but of course, we also understand that you may well become a casualty. Wars are rubbish. We plan for them, we prepare ourselves for them, and then they come along and we get scared. We start to think about aspects that we neglected in our preparation. We haven't considered what death means to us or our family. Are we actually prepared to die? Have we got our affairs in order? And have we made our peace with the world? I always tell people to do that. Then, oh, here we go. I always tell people to do that. Tell the people that matter to you that you love them. They need to know that it's good for your mental fitness to know you've done this. Wars tie you out. They drag on. And this one is no different. Also, they keep you on edge the whole time, allowing you no rest, as you never know when the enemy will strike and often who the enemy actually is. My wars, Iraq and Afghanistan, were frustratingly dull and spiked with moments of significant stress and violent activity. I was lucky to make it out of some situations and some of my colleagues never did. Yet I do remember during those times to having moments where I felt the most alive I ever had. This, I guess, is understood through the lens of being the closest I have been to death and there might well be something in there to study. In dangerous sporting events, the space between life and death is known as the space between. And there was a documentary made about it. I'll try and find it. I did find it, guys. Go to religionofsports.com, the space between. It's about TT races, Isle of Man TT races, okay? And actually, just about Iraq and Afghanistan, um, my Iraq war was pretty tedious, floated around over the top of Iraq in, in a tornado. Afghanistan, I was in Stratcoms, I was in an HQ building, but we used to have to go out and do interviews and, and go and speak to um, dignitaries in the Afghan army and things like that. And we had a spate where some of the team, myself included, would go to like a hospital or um, a military base or an office. And then two or three days later, someone will come in and blow that place up or gun, it, gun everyone down and stuff like that. We missed it by like a day, a few hours sometimes, you know, and you always wonder what would happen if, you know, if I was in the hospital, I had a rifle and a sidearm, it's a pilot, right? What would happen if they had stormed the buildings and I was in there? I'd be just throwing rounds down range, hoping for the best, to be fair. I mean, I had US Marine Corps guys with me as well, but all of us knew we were pretty exposed. Um, so yeah, and they did shoot up a whole room. An Afghan major shot up a whole um, room. I think nine people died, including a couple of women. Was it one woman? I can't remember now. And in there, there was pilots in there, F-16 pilots that had been in country for like a day or something, you know. Couldn't get to the sidearms quick enough and he shot all nine of them. Pretty horrendous. I think he did take a couple of rounds from someone, but they all died. The US, United States kind of hushed that one up a little bit, but you can find it if you look for it. That was in Kabul. Back in 2011, <clears throat> yeah. Not the most, not the most ideal. Anyway, so to finish, I spent my career not expecting to survive, not expecting to survive, and I guess subconsciously I was able to do the flying because I felt I was just living for free, as it were. You can live a lot freer if you think that you should have already died. Flowers smell richer, colours are enhanced, and much of life is more noteworthy. There are downsides. Marriage struggles, a constant underlying uncomfortableness that doesn't go away until the activity is stopped. And even then, work needs to be done. 
So it's not an easy way to live, but it is a choice we make, as you say, you could have shielded yourself, but you find yourself unwilling to do so. Maybe ask yourself why this is the case, and you'll probably realize that the world depends on good people. And deep down inside, you realize that you might just be one of them. I wish you all the best with it. Not a great time, but people like you are making it better. Also understand that you do need to take time away from the job. Some people might die if you're not there, but that's just the job. Your mental resilience needs work, and this is done in the downtime. It's currently a bad time, and in bad times, you find good people rise up. And in doing so, it's inevitable that some of these good people will fall. So take care of yourself. And I'll do a podcast on this and omit your name if you agree. I believe it will have significant benefit um, for many people during this time. Now, he did write back, actually, fair play to the boy. And he said, thank you for your kind reply. Uh, what you say is very interesting. And he can relate to that, consider yourself already being dead with the transplant he's got. So he's living on borrowed time. Um, for all intent, of course, he should be already dead. He says, uh, yeah, he says he feels that, I mean, there's a little bit here about humility and stuff and every day being an opportunity. Um, and he, he understands, I think a lot of people that he's with are, are really kind of hit by this pandemic, but also the lockdown. They're not being able to go out there, not being able to do people, not being able to go and see people and do things. And I think he's absolutely right. I take the lockdown quite seriously. I'm not a guy that kind of flouts the rules like that. You know, I haven't seen my mum in ages. I've got a TV over there and on the TV, it's a little fire stick, you know, one of those fire sticks. And she really wants to watch that Queen. I think it's the Queen program. She's a royalist, you know, flag, flag, flag. And um, she can't. So she's sitting there kind of bored, my mum. She's like 75 and I can't even get the TV to her because I need to set it up so I, I don't go down, you know. But I will when they roll out of this. I'm just not going to break all the rules because I think we shouldn't, personally. Whatever you feel about it, whatever you feel about the pandemic, whatever you feel about conspiracies, all that kind of stuff, you know, whatever. I'm, that's just how I look at it. So he says, thanks so much, basically. Um, yeah. Cool. Anyway, so what are we thinking about that then, guys? Apart from the fact my hair is really fluffy, because I've done the whole hair thing, haven't I? What's that? Um, it's a it's a bad time, and sometimes, as I said, in bad times, you know, we find that good people kind of take the plate. They rise up. What the hell's going on with this thing here? Look at this. There it is. And they they have to do the job. They have to do the job that they're called to do. And this is one of those things. This is the war. This is the war that some of these people have to fight, the one that they never thought would come. Maybe they hoped it never would come, but it has come. Uh, I never kind of really hoped wars would come for me. I quite enjoy flying around Scotland in the big jet here, and I think all of us did, but unfortunately those wars do come, and you don't get to pick and choose the ones when you're in the military. Unfortunately, you go where they tell you to go. It's very interesting now I'm out of the military. I'm kind of distancing myself a little bit more with hindsight. You know, I see the, I see things that we were under, and maybe some of those things weren't that healthy. But I do think that when you're in the moment, it's not time to throw your toys out the pram. And this guy's most certainly doing that by saying that he could shield himself, but he's deciding not to. That's bravery right there. That's bravery, okay? Because he's been told, look, maybe you should go and shield yourself because, you know, you've had this transplant. He's gone, no, I'm good. Yeah, this could kill me, but I'm here to help people. And that's bravery right there. That takes some heart, okay? Takes some real heart. So guys, I thought I'd put this out real quick for you just to show you what's going on. Um, it's only 15 minutes. It's a real quick one, okay? I'll put it on the podcast too. Um, obviously, if you are listening on the podcast, guys, you have not learned how to cut your hair because you did not watch the visuals. However, I'm telling you, it's not that difficult. Take a clump of it, chop it off, use the mirror, okay? We can all do it. And why not, okay? Because you never get a chance to cut your hair again. Incidentally, a lot of people just get that big razor thing. They do the back of the necks like this. And it's an easy way of doing it. I left mine all fluffy because I like it because it annoys people. That's kind of what I'm about a little bit, isn't it? It's just kind of riling people up and actually getting a response that we can then do something with and, and talk about, okay? But either way. Good. Right, I'm going to leave it there, guys. Um, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Until next time, Tim Davies, Fast Ship Performance. <laughs>